I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we got some mailbag questions for you today. But first, an update on Ryan Jensen, who began his 21-day practice window coming off injured reserve. Jensen, of course, hurt his knee the second day of training camp. Has not played since. Did not have surgery. Still no details about his knee injury. We asked Todd Bowles again. No one is really forthcoming about that. However, uh, he was out there, and it was a big boost, I think, for a lot of the players, particularly the offensive linemen. He brings a lot of energy uh, to the field. They've missed that on the field. When you're rehabbing, you're really not around teammates during practice or really meetings or anything like that. You're too focused on trying to get better. And this is really just another step for Jensen and hopefully the last step for him to getting back on the field. But Todd Bowles made it absolutely clear. Ryan Jensen will not play on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. There's virtually no way, he said. He said that also they don't have any expectations for Jensen. He said, again, uh, this is just part of the rehab process. I think it is a a day-to-day situation that they will uh, sort of monitor. And he says as it progresses, we'll have more to report. But right now, he's just happy being out there running, doing some things. It's good for him. It's a lift for us and a lift for the guys. So that's kind of where it stands. I think if the Bucks were to win the NFC South, next week's game at Atlanta would virtually mean nothing. They would sit as many players uh, as they can, especially those that might be nicked up. You still have to play the game, of course. But – Obviously, Jensen wouldn't play in that one. It would make sense to put him out there um, without him, you know, being fully uh, ready to go. Best case scenario, I think, would be a playoff situation, and maybe not even in the first wild card game. We'll have to see, but really, no way to know where he is at from a health standpoint. He's worked very hard to get back this far, but um, you know, again, I, I think it's sort of pie in the sky to think that he's going to come in and make all the difference in the world in the postseason. Although, it's good to have him back because you never know you could suffer an injury in one of these next two games and and maybe need him in some capacity. You just don't know. Also, uh, some good news with the Bucs with respect to their offensive line. Donovan Smith, who missed last week's game at Arizona, has returned to practice. He has that foot injury. He was practicing. Tristan Wirfs, who also aggravated an ankle injury that had cost him three games. Uh, he kind of tweaked it a little bit at Arizona. He said that uh, he's ready to go and, and um, says he feels fantastic. He said, I'm going regardless. It doesn't matter. I'll be good. Just certain situations that he gets into where he you know he really feels that ankle. So he doesn't expect there to be any problems. Carl Nassib, who has uh, been out for a while, he also returned. He has a pectoral injury. He was back out there practicing on a limited basis, so that was good to see. Anthony Nelson was not practicing. He had an illness, but he's expected to be fine by the weekend. Him and Joe Tryon-Shawinka have played every single snap on defense the last two games, and in a weird way, while it's while it's very you know exhausting for them, uh, the experience, the number of reps that they are getting, the ability to sort of feel out what teams are doing against them the defensive uh, as a defensive uh, pass rusher going up against the same offensive lineman play in play out 60 something 70 plays a game um, has really helped them Carlton Davis did not attend practice um, and or he did attend it I'm sorry but he, he was not participating I should say due to a, a shoulder injury we didn't get much more on that and and maybe the biggest absence so far is still Vita Vea, who's missed the last two games with a calf injury. He was not seen at practice uh, during the portion open to the media. That's bad news because the the Carolina Panthers, we know, are going to run the ball and run it hard and run it often. And, you know, I think they're a different defense if it's Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks as opposed to just Akeem Hicks and somebody else. So um, 
that's that's one to watch. Doesn't mean he won't play. He could practice today uh, and maybe sometime the rest of the week. But um, certainly they would feel better if Vita Vea were back in the lineup. So that's that's sort of just the um, you know the health of the club right now. And we'll have more. Of course, Tom Brady will talk later today about the opportunity the Bucks have in front of them. I mean, it's as simple as this: they win, they're in. They're in the postseason. They host a, a home playoff game. That that was the goal. Going, you know, going way back in in July, the record is not what they want it to be. Uh, they really haven't scored a lot of points. You know, I talked to Chris Godwin a little bit the other day, and and he still thinks they have that thirty point game in them. We'll see. I mean, the way it's going right now, Tom Brady's turning the ball over a lot. He's throwing it early. He's struggling throwing the ball deep. He's getting hit at times, causing some of those interceptions. So. Um, you know, Carolina has a very good defense. They put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They stopped the run. This will be a very tough game and one that I think the Bucks say, and rightfully so, they're treating it as a playoff game. Even though they won't be eliminated if they were to lose, they would need help from New Orleans beating Carolina, and then they would have to beat the Atlanta Falcons next week uh, to win the NFC South. So they don't want it to come down to that. They got the Panthers at home. They got them where they want them. And, um, you know, that's sort of the best case scenario for them is to go out and take care of business on Sunday here at Raymond James Stadium. We'll also talk a little college football tomorrow. My partner, Joey Knight, will preview the Bucks and the Carolina Panthers as well as the national semifinals in college football. Uh, should be some good games. Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, Alabama. Those are on New Year's Eve, so looking forward to those. All right, we got our mailbag questions coming up today. Some really good ones, a lot about the Buccaneers, as you might expect. But first, I want to tell you guys, a way to save your money on electric right now on your electric bill is called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been operating and installing solar electric systems for a dozen years. Now, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies out there, but May Electric Solar, they're committed to you for the long term. Get this, they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. That's 30 years. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the main difference. If you visit their Hutchins showroom, May Electric displays all their products that conduct on-site testing. You can see what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job. Those are Billy May's guys up there on that roof. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, preserve the quality of your life and that of your appliances. It's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, we got some mailback questions uh, for you. Let's get started. Well, we'll start with a little couple light ones we got. Uh, peek behind the curtain. Harlan tweeted us. He said, is there a committee that selects your mailbag questions from the undoubtedly thousands of submissions? When Steve asked the question, <laughs> is it the first time you are hearing it? Uh, typically, it is the first time. I mean, I might I might have sent some his way that I get in, on my email because we ask for mm-hmm. emails as well. You can do it on Twitter. You can do it with email. So I do send you a couple, but very often when I send them, I've just read it for the first time too. Sorry, I don't read a lot of my mail. I think it's better that way. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think there's some spontaneity that, uh, you know, and I'm – I mean, I'm kind of, you know, faking it until I make it here, but I mean, I am giving you the best information I have, and it is 100% guaranteed or your money back. So, um, yeah, we keep it fresh. We don't, I don't really know in advance. Uh, if there's something specific, like sometimes people ask a stat-related question or something I have to look up, um, and sometimes I'll ask Steve for that, you know, in, beforehand so I'm not stumbling around blindly. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, no, it's pretty spontaneous. I, I don't. I don't really review them at all. Yeah, I, I like to I like to ask it for the first time on the show often to get an honest reaction out of you too. Yeah, yeah, because they're yeah, it's it's sort of you can tell by the way I react that uh, you know sort of they're fresh to me and and um, some of them I literally go you know that's a great question I haven't thought about it give me let me think and I and I kind of I get there eventually but um, but no I think it's better if uh, and it is listen some of these I'll give my you know, Steve, all our guys that listen to our podcast, they ask really good questions. And we have some regulars, obviously. We have people mm-hmm. that submit them all, all the time. But um, I, I give them credit. They they really put some thought into these. And they're not easy uh, easy answers sometimes. And they're, and they're always on, on, on point. I think people 
know uh, and follow along pretty well with the Lightning, with the Rays, with the Bucks, And the things they ask are the right questions. And the questions we should be asking of these organizations and of these coaches and players and stuff. So it's really good. All right. And Les had tweeted us. He says, Rick, are you an open presence on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day guy? You know, I have always been 100% Christmas Day. You know? And not to quote Kevin Costner, you know, I believe Oswald acted alone as well. Um, And you should open presents on Christmas Day and not Christmas Eve. But I made the exception this year because the Bucks played on Christmas Day and I've never had that conundrum. And I must say, it was really difficult. And I was proud of my youngest one, Alexandra, who insisted that we not open all the presents. And, you know, hey, she's 10. But... And we not open all the presents on Christmas Eve because there's got to be one or two from Santa on Christmas Day. And it just doesn't feel right opening presents, all of them, on Christmas Eve. So, by gosh, they held a couple back uh, that maybe Santa would deliver later. But, um, yeah, not a Christmas Eve. Now, if I'm going to give my wife something, there's very few secrets between us. Um, and, and the other thing is I don't want to spend a ton of money on something she doesn't particularly like. So... I don't want, I, I'm not good at rejection that way. So if I'm going to go out there and, you know, drop some money, um, I kind of want a selection of things that I can choose from or something that I, you know, if it's something that she's talked about that I know, I'll just go get it. Um, but we'll, we'll sometimes exchange ours or say, Hey, you know, um, but, but that's, even that's rare. Like we usually, we like to do it early in the morning. And of course, as the kids get older, they sleep later, which is great. But, um, that that you know the videotape of them coming out and seeing what's under the tree and the reaction you get when they rip through them and stuff like that to me that's christmas that's it's i'm a christmas day guy i've always i was just raised that way uh nothing against people that do it on christmas eve but it just seems to me that you know that's that's sort of the thrill uh of the whole thing in the morning there all right now we get to some uh sports related questions uh ted in tallahassee had emailed us a little lengthy but a great analysis Mm-hmm. He said, I recently did a play-by-play analysis to determine the Bucks' run versus pass ratio for each half of each game this season. Hmm. The reason I did this by half and not by game is that Byron Leftwich has on occasion started the first half with a balanced offense but reverts back to a pass-happy attack in the second half. See the Ravens and Bengals games as examples. Anyway, yeah. I found that in the seven halves in which the Bucks ran the ball at least 40% of the time, they collectively outscored their opponents 86-39. to 39 and had a 6-1 and record in those halves. Nice. Conversely, in the 21 halves in which the Bucs ran the ball less than 40%, the Bucs collectively were outscored by their opponents 249-161, to and they had a 6-14-1 record in those halves. Mm. Why won't Byron Leftwich call run plays more often, given that it is clearly evident that the Bucs do much better with a balanced offense? And why does Todd Bowles allow him to continue calling an absurd number of pass plays? Well... That first of all, thanks for all the analysis. That's uh, really enterprising of you to go through all that and, and write those numbers down. Um, one, I'm not surprised by your data. I think um, a couple things. Since you did it by halves, um, clearly when you're trailing, you're going to throw the ball more, particularly in the second half, try to get back in the game. So you've lost your balance at that point, and – if you're trailing, there's a good possibility that maybe you lost the game as well. So I'm not surprised that those games where they've lost that run-pass ratio and it's skewed heavily towards the pass, that that record is not good uh, because that's indicative of, you know, hey, we had to throw to get back in it. And that's been happening way too much this year. Um, Tom Brady has managed to win three of those games where they trailed in the fourth quarter overtime uh, or in overtime they won. Um, And that becomes a very pass-happy endeavor, right? You're trying to get back in the game. You're in hurry-up offense. You're in the two-minute. You're throwing on every down. Believe me when I tell you that Brady just did not want to go down this road again where he led the NFL with 719 pass attempts. He's going to eclipse that by a significant amount this year. Um, That was a record for him in 22 years. Now it'll be a record in 23 years back-to-back. And you could say, well, last year, you're still under the no risk it, no biscuit 
you know, sort of pass happy offense, if you will. But that was not supposed to be the case this season, nor did he want it to be. And there's a lot of people over there at One Buck Place that don't know and don't completely buy into the fact that the Bucks are, you know, or were last, I think they're still there, were last in rushing attempts. It's one thing to say, well, we're not very good at running the ball. And usually that's, as a play caller, that's what you you fight because, you know, second and nine statistically, um, the number of teams that overcome second and nine, uh, the percentage is really, really low. And so if you're a play caller and you're getting one yard on first down running the football, it's hard to bang your head against the wall, you know, because you're going three and out, three and out. And that's a recipe for losing. I mean, you, you put your defense back on the field. They don't, those guys don't have any time off. Um, it, you can't score points that way. And so I, I think there's been a lot of that this year where, you know, you, you plan to come in and run the football against this team or that team. You fall behind and it's you, you still think the best way for you to win is for the greatest quarterback of all time to start making plays and in the passing game. And they've fallen victim of that too much. They all know they, they should be more balanced. They all know that Tom Brady more than ever needs them to have a good running attack. But you've got to do it. You know, it, it's it's really easy to say, hey, just call more runs, right? Well, call more runs when? I mean, on first down? Okay, how about second down? Uh, you know, or, you know, we're third and seven now. How many runs can we call on third and seven? So down and distance dictates the play calling. That's why when they set up those cards, the way it's set up, you see them holding the cards, so it's, it's set up on down and distance. You know, here's all my third and four plays. Here's all my third and six plus. Here's all my, you know, second down and five plus, you know. That that's sort of how that's made up against this because you know you're also anticipating in these down and distances what defense you're facing. So you've done all the film work. We're going to get this front. We're going to get this blitz. We're going to get this coverage in this situation. So you're working off their defense, and with all that predetermined, there's just not a lot of second and nine, second and eight running plays. You know, like. You're going to lean heavily on the pass, especially if you fall behind. And I just think the analysis shows that when they fall behind, they stop running and they lose. And when they're able to maintain some balance throughout the game and not fall behind and not be prey to having to throw every down, they win. Uh, And that's the plan. The plan is try to be balanced, but mostly score points, man, however you do it. And it's like I was talking to Bruce Arians the other day. He's like, look, you keep hearing, you know, Run the ball more. Run the ball more. He's like, where did this come from? Like, let's just score points. How about that? You know? How about we run it well enough? We've got Rashad White, and we've got Leonard Fournette. we got good running backs, and we we can move some people on occasion. But, you know, last time we checked, some of their best players are the wide, are the wide receivers. Their best player on the team is a quarterback. What do they do? Throw the football. So... You know, there's a little bit of push-pull, but I think they're striving for balance. They just simply haven't been good enough to achieve it. And that's why the record is what it is, and that's why their offense is what it is. All right, the Tampa Bay 98ers tweeted us. Said, I'm definitely not going to accuse the Bucks of scripting all these fourth-quarter bailouts, but I'm starting to wonder <laughs> if maybe Tom Brady is secretly enjoying this. Like, <laughs> conventional regular season wins leave Tom unfulfilled. He needs the late comeback drives or it's not even worth it. Uh, you know what's great about this question is that you're not far off. Um, first of all, Tom Brady would rather win by 30 every single game, right? Like, there's no question that, hey, given the choice, do you want these dramatic, you know, trail by 10 pressure cookers where you have to bring your team down and pull it out in Brady-esque fashion, or... Would you rather have a baseball cap on and maybe playing Gabbert gets the last series because you're up by 30? He'd take the second one all day long and has. Um, so there's that. It's stressful, and you can lose. And if you put yourself in that position too many times, you will lose. However, and Brady has said this this year, winning's fun no matter how you do it. 
But sometimes, sometimes it's even more fun if you have the kind of comebacks they've had this year, the pass to Kate Otten, the one to Rashad White, like, you know, um, the 10 point down by 10 points on Sunday against the Cardinals and get it in overtime and drive it down for a game-winning field goal. Like, there's juice to that, right? You feel that. Even though the first three quarters have gone badly and you just can't get anything going and you left some, you know, chances out there and, you know, whether it was penalties or turnovers, like that's frustrating, right? You're frustrated the whole game. But you get in the fourth quarter and the magic happens. Everybody's like, wow, they just stole that game. Like, wow, Brady did it again. He brought him back again. Brady gets off on that, man. You know, he knows what he is. He knows who he is. Uh, and he will do what he has to do to win. There's no better fourth quarter or overtime trailing, you know, in, in those periods as a quarterback in the history of the league. He's just very calm. He makes adjustments. His players are very focused. And he gets it done. And there's an excitement. There's a rush to that. There's a rush to winning, but there's obviously a rush to winning in that fashion. Now, you don't want to put yourself in that position because I can remember a couple games this year they lost because they did come back, but they needed two-point conversions and didn't get them, and they lost, right? So you're playing with fire every single time you get in those, those predicaments. With Brady, though, you feel really good. And I hate to say this, if they're going to do anything in the postseason or maybe even get there, that's exactly who they are. That's who they are. They have a defense that is good enough and that understands our offense is not going to hang 30 today, guys. They can keep you in games. And if you can get the ball back to Tom in the fourth quarter, trailing by one or even two scores, he can bring you down there and he can win the game. We've seen him do it time and time again. That's really been their whole year in a nutshell. That's kind of what they've done. There's only been a couple teams, you know, the season opener, they couldn't get the ball in the end zone until the end. Mike Evans made a circus catch, but before that it was field goals. And they pulled away because their defense was great, and they, they won that one by six. They won 19-3, I think. And then they go to Germany, and they play really probably the best game they have on offense. But then the defense kind of gives up some scores late, and they got to kind of hang on and make a stupid play with a you know halfback option and things like that. Brady going out for passes. Um, but other than that, they just really haven't had those days like, they, that, like they're used to. So their formula is we're going to be in a lot of close games because we can't, we can't score enough points to pull away. And we can't sustain it when we do, like against Cincinnati. And so they kind of have found their way to – hang in there on defense, get Brady the ball back a couple times in the fourth quarter, and more often than not, he's able to win games that way. So that'll be what they'll try to do against Carolina, who's going to come in and run the game. That's going to shorten the game. It's going to be a possession game, a time of possession game. Who's going to wear down? And in a low-scoring game, you hope that you get the ball to Brady in the fourth quarter, trailing by one or two scores, and that he'll bring you down and win it. And that's I think that's how they're going to have to play the rest of the year. That's just who they are. All right, Craig in Vegas tweeted us. He says, when Todd Bowles addressed the team after the game, you could you could read some body language from the video that the Bucks put out, especially from Mike Evans. He says, Devin White seemed to bring the fire. Is this that team not believing in Todd Bowles, or is this again where they miss Bruce Arians' swag and fire? The team feels flat. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know how many times I can say this. I... I know that there is a narrative out there that they're just not, look at them. They're not fired up. Look, they're not responding. Look at them. They're over there. They're just not into it. You know, Bruce was fiery. Bruce, you could tell their guys were fired up. They're fiery. They're like their head coach. And there is some truth to the fact that in the NFL, teams do sometimes reflect a little bit the temperament of their head coach. Okay. But it's the same guy. And I've I've written this. I've talked to Tony Dungy about it. You know, when you're standing on the sidelines with your arms folded and the same blank expression on your face and you're not dog-cussing referees all day and you're not throwing visors, right? 
and marching up and down the sideline. If you're just that calm, stoic, in-control guy and you win, okay, and you win, you're Tom Landry. You're Chuck Knoll. Look, look at his teams are so poised. Look at that. Look how in control they are. Look how, look how calm they are under pressure, just like their coach. You know, cerebral, in control. They don't beat themselves, right? Unflappable. They're unflappable. Love them. When you lose, same guy, Todd Bowles, Tony Dungy, right? When you lose, just stands there. No emotion. No emotion. No fire. This team has no fire. Look at the coach. They got no fire. They're flat. No wonder they're not excited. You play for that guy? Same guy. Same exact guy. Didn't do anything different, man. You have to be yourself. You have to be yourself. Was Greg Schiano the answer? Because he was fiery now. There was nobody running up and down the sideline more fired up than Greg Schiano, and now he was that way in practice. Toes on the line, blowing the whistle. Right? How'd he do? Surrey's talking to me now. That's how fired up we are. But how did how did he do? I don't know why Surrey just talks on your watch. How did he do? He didn't do well at all. And you know who you are when you're that guy? And you lose? When you lose and you're that guy. When you're Greg Shiano, you're fiery. It's fiery. But you lose, you know what you are? You're a madman. You're crazy. You're maniacal. You know, have no poise at all. Your teams, your teams are undisciplined. They lack discipline. They're like you. They're going off at the wrong time about the wrong things. Right? Now, if you're that guy and you win, right? You're fiery and you're you're in you're in people's grill and you're and your team's winning, you're Bill Parcells. You're Bill Parcells. You're yelling at your players, you're yelling at the referees, but you're a champion. And they're carrying you off on your shoulders because your teams are what? They reflect you, man. They are ready. They are into it. They're fiery. Same guy. Folks, it's whether you win or you lose. And and the worst thing you can do, and I've learned this in my years of covering the team, is to take a snapshot or a glimpse, okay, of a locker room. Mike Evans played 60-something snaps at wide receiver, okay? 60-something snaps at wide receiver. You think he's a little gassed after the game when Todd Bowles is talking to his team? What do you want him to do, jump up and down? He's not 23 years old like Devin White or 24. This guy's in his ninth season. You think he's heard a few post-game speeches before? Probably wants to take a shower, get in a tub, get some treatment, breathe a little. He's not like, get this over with. I've heard a million speeches. Let's go. Same thing with Julio Jones. Julio Jones, Hall of Fame player. Hell, they both are. Right? So if you don't see the expressions on their face, like, oh, they're all into it. Look, they're hanging on every word. Oh, they're they're fired up. Dude, you don't know what's going on with these guys. Maybe they're injured. It's Christmas night. They got a five-hour flight home. They're exhausted. They want to get ready and get out of there, right? So don't make snap judgments on videotapes and narrow ones at that, right? What happened after that? What if I told you Mike Evans went up to Bowles and patted him on the back and said, hey, we got you, coach, man. I'm fired up. We got one more game. Let's do it. Let's close this thing out. What if he went up to him and said, hey, thanks for bailing us out on defense because you know what? If our defense doesn't play lights out, we have no chance of coming back tonight. And they got that turnover, and we were able to go down there and score the you know the tying field goal. And that was the difference, man. And, hey, your defense was awesome because they allowed one first down in overtime. We got the ball, went down, won it. We knew it was over because even though we lost the coin toss, they weren't going to score a touchdown. We knew what the job was. You, you were awesome tonight, coach. We don't know what we don't know. And so I get really annoyed by people who say, look at the, no wonder 
even in a victory, they're just standing there. Look at them, just standing there. They're expressionless. They're not making any noise. Guys, they've been in the league, man. You know, they played 60-something snaps. What are we watching? It's just funny to me that people make these judgments. And, and look, Todd Bowles will rise and fall on whatever his record is. And only the Glazers, and the Glazers only, will decide what his fate is. Not you, not the fans, not the Twitter people, right? It's what he does as a head coach. And right now, by 4.30 on Sunday, he could have won only the eighth division championship in 46 previous years, 47 this year, eight. That's the job. The job is getting the playoffs. That's the job. They don't say, hey, get in the playoffs when all the teams are over 500 or get in the playoffs when you go 15-1 and one and you have the number one seed. It's just get in the postseason. Let's get to the tournament, and then we'll take our chance. We'll see what happens. It's only happened seven other times. Seven other times have they won the division. This is eight. You want to fire him. You want to fire him now, right? Before he even plays this game or maybe upsets Dallas. Maybe there's an upset of San Francisco before that. Maybe they get another home play. I mean, who knows, right? You think you can't win against Minnesota somewhere on the road? Which team in the NFC is guaranteed to make the post, guaranteed to make the Super Bowl? I don't know who's guaranteed. I can't tell you that. I have no clue. 49ers look really, really good. They won it eight, eight in a row. I think the most in the league right now. Brock Purdy is their quarterback. What happens if they get behind? We've seen this with Jimmy Garoppolo in this offense, right? It's really good when you have a good defense, man. You can control the game, control the ball. Got a lot of fast guys. What happens if you get behind? You got to throw it every down. It's a different offense. You got the quarterback for that? You think so? We don't know. So... I would just say this, and it, and listen, there's some dark days ahead, <laughs> okay? There's some. There's a lot of them behind you, 12 years of it with no playoffs, only two winning seasons. There's some really dark days ahead. They got salary cap issues. They've mortgaged the future. There will come a day where Tom Brady is not your quarterback if you're a Bucks fan, okay? And when that day comes, I don't know what you're going to get from Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbert, or somebody else that they bring in here. I don't know, right? But the bill's coming due. You've had a lot of veteran players, a lot of big salaries. Um, you've you know, finished in the going to the postseason. You're drafting low over the last few years. Had some good drafts, but nonetheless. So you're looking at some lean years ahead of you. I wouldn't stop celebrating the fact that they're playing for a championship on Sunday. Let's just, you know, if you're a Bucks fan, you should probably embrace this just a little bit and say, eh, okay. It's been a tough year, but you know what? They're gonna, it's a hat and T-shirt day if they win. There's not too many of those, man. And stop reading body language and saying, this guy's lost his team because he hasn't. He really hasn't. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, Edwards tweeted. He said, would the Bucks ever think about moving Keanu Neal to inside linebacker to make room for Devin White to pass rush way more, a la Micah Parsons type role? I mean, Keanu could do that, and he does play down in the box quite a bit when he does play safety. Um, that's really his strength. It's not coverage, clearly. He's, you know, he was a linebacker in Dallas, in fact, and did play inside. So he could do it, and with the lack of outside pass rushers that they have right now with the injuries to Shaq Barrett and, um, you know, Carl Nassib and others. I mean, basically, it's unbelievable to say this, but the last two games, both Joe Tryon, Shawinka, and Anthony Nelson have played 
every snap on defense. Not even in a rotation. Like, team could drive down the field and they're still playing every snap. That's not probably a good idea for longevity or production. Um, they've been able to do it. So to answer your question, yeah, I think that's a I think it's a good idea. Now, you know, he's two hundred and what forty pounds. Um, it's tough going up against offensive tackles off the edge at that weight. But once in a while, could you do it? Could you move him around? And yeah, yeah, you could do it. I wouldn't. Don't think you're gonna make a living doing it. I hate taking him out of the middle of the defense because he can impact so many different aspects of the game, not just the pass rush. Um, but there's no doubt they got to get creative and try to find ways to help those guys off the edge because they're just they just don't have enough of them. You know, I saw where J.J. Russell uh, is back uh, on the active roster, so you know that gives them another body. So they're, they're going to do some things, but yeah, creatively, you got to bring guys from different angles, from different positions, and and um, you certainly could do that. And and they have rushed him outside, but but he's better as an A-gap, you know, guy, because he's closer to the quarterback. Um, you're taking on guards that aren't as athletic centers as as a tackle would be. So I think they like where he's at, but they, they could certainly switch it up once in a while if they wanted to. All right, we got a couple questions on kind of the future with the Bucks, and I know you kind of addressed it last question, but Go Snarf had specifically tweeted, did the Bucks Super Bowl window close before our eyes? The team seems old and slow, and cap issues out to 2025. Feels like dark winter has arrived. It hadn't arrived yet. Again, I, you know, in, in going back to my previous answer, like enjoy this. I, I I know everybody is like, they they see that it's almost midnight in Tampa Bay, and it really isn't. Um, but it's coming. So, you know, yeah. I mean, I think that's the cyclical nature of the NFL, right? Because... Everything is based, the system is based on competitive balance. The teams that are up, they're going to come down. And why? Well, for starters, if if you win the Super Bowl, where are you picking? 32nd, okay? Their first pick two years ago was Joe Tryon Shawinka. I could probably name you a bunch of outside pass rushers that are better right now that they missed out on in the last two years. So... You know, the same is true with free agency. Everybody has, supposedly, the same amount of cap space every year. And, you know, the Bucks have gone all in to try to mortgage what they have with Tom Brady. You know, they're not buying green bananas. This is not the time to do that. But if, you, if you're going to get control of your salary cap, you can't have a roster, you can't have the oldest roster in the league. I mean, even the guy making the veteran minimum is making a lot of money. So you need young players. You need guys you've drafted. You've got to bring that salary cap down so you can compete for some free agents again. Um, And quite frankly, if you don't win, you'll be in a position to add some key pieces like a quarterback, right? And, And this is the NFL. This is how it works, man. You know, you lose in the losing organizations. What do you see them doing every year? Change the coach, change the quarterback, change the coach, change the quarterback until Eureka, one day, they're fortunate enough to draft Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, somebody of that ilk. And then they're set for a number of years. And they can pay him and they can build around him and, you know, surprising how much stability you have in the coaching staff when you get one of those iconic quarterbacks like that. So it's tough. The dark days are coming. It's not midnight yet. I keep saying this. And and maybe Brady is back another year, which would further push the mortgage down a little bit. And But, you know, what the hell? You've got the GOAT, and he gives you the best chance to win, and he can still absolutely sling it. So they might do this again. But eventually, those bills are going to come due. And when they do, unless you're lucky enough to, you know, find another iconic quarterback. I mean, the one organization that did that, and it was through injury that I remember of late, was really the Colts. I mean, Peyton Manning got hurt. They lost all those games, and then they were in position to draft Andrew Luck. But that's that 
timing is usually off, right? So, um, I, again, I would just say absolutely there's going to be a cyclical turn where they're not going to have these kind of players with this kind of production, and that's when your your scouting department and your front office has to go find those guys, and you got to build. Everybody says, well, we're going to build through the draft. Who doesn't? Is there a team, whether you have all veteran players or not, that doesn't want to build through the draft? One, they're cheaper. you got to, you got to control them for four years, sometimes five if it's a first-rounder. Everybody, everybody has draft picks. I mean, there are teams now, you know, that like San Francisco and others that just said, hey, we're going to give up three number ones for a quarterback for Trey Lance. Or we're, you know, there, there's a lot of teams like that that have just mortgaged the future. The Denver Broncos, chief among them, will give you tons of draft picks for Russell Wilson. Is that going to play out well for them? Probably not. But if you hang on to those picks and you do a good job in the front office, you can replenish your roster that way. Free agency is a tool. It's just an element of building a roster. But the draft is the lifeblood of your team. And so so long as you can select players that are good and can make it, um, that's how you sustain success. But the quarterback and the coach, those are the two biggest things. And once Brady goes, they're going to have to solve the quarterback like every other team that doesn't make it in the postseason. All right, Tommy tweeted. He said, with the Bucks being in salary cap trouble going into the offseason, do you see them moving on from Cameron Brait and moving on from Donovan Smith? And if they move on from Donovan Smith, do you think they'd move Tristan Wirfs to left tackle? Yeah, I think we kind of we discussed this a couple times before, but I, I um, my personal thought is Tristan Wirfs can absolutely play left tackle if you gave him the opportunity, right? If you said we're going to take an off season and you're gonna you're gonna play left tackle, could he do it? Absolutely. Could he do it at an all pro level? I have no idea. I think he'd be very, very good at whatever he attempted because that's who he is as an individual. He's a, he's a, he's a guy that it matters to him, right? He's an achiever, an overachiever, but you have an all pro at right tackle, right? Like the, the best in the game at his position last year. Um, and he made the pro bowl again. I'm not sure you want to change that per se. Like, you can't get better than all pro. Like, if he goes to left tackle, could he make the pro bowl? Eh, maybe. Is he going to be all pro? I don't know. Like, it's a whole new position. It might take him a while. Might might never get there. So, rather than potentially kind of screw him up and lose the best right tackle in football, I would try to draft one. You know, I, I think that's that's sort of the way to go. As far as break goes, look, he's, he's been injured a lot an awful lot the last two or three years. Um, You don't see as much separation. He's been good in the red zone when he's been healthy and out there. Could they bring him back at a reduced cost for another year? They could. Um, I don't know that they will, quite frankly. Who was the other one they asked about? Um, So it was Brait. It was Worfsko moving over. Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith is a a real interesting one to me because – he still has money left on his deal, um, but it's less if you were to take the dead money than if you paid him to play left tackle. However, they don't grow on trees, and maybe though he is at the end of his of his career, you know, from the standpoint of playing at a, at a type Pro Bowl type level, maybe he can't do that anymore. But he's still really, really good. Um, I know this year has looked bad. He's had some egregious penalties. I think he's been hurt. I think there's other things he's alluded to that might be bothering him off the field. I'm willing to give him a pass because last year I think he had the best year I've ever seen him have. And he was probably should have made the Pro Bowl. He's the one guy that didn't. Um, so, yeah, I I think Donovan's going to be an interesting question, though, and how he finishes up the season. And the other thing we don't know is how hurt is he, right? How bad was that? Can you play left tackle with one arm if you have a hyperextended elbow all season? You know, can you do that? Is that really fair to evaluate a guy that way? So if we got him healthy again and he was motivated, I still think he can be a really good left tackle. But 
I I tend to think they won't move on from him unless, and this is a very big possibility, um, their first pick in the draft could be a tackle. And, and, and if it is a first-round pick, then he should be able to start. The hope would be that he could start as a rookie. So that, to me, is still their biggest need is their offensive line, regardless of position, but especially at tackle, uh, left tackle. I just don't know what they'll do. So we'll have to see how Smith plays the rest of the year, number one, how much he was hurt that affected him, number two, and sort of where they're drafting and whether they think that they can acquire a guy through the draft uh, at left tackle or through free agency, which is even harder to do. All right, we'll end on this one today. Uh, Michael had tweeted, it goes, switches to baseball. So the Mets have a $300 million payroll, and the A's are at $25 million. Does baseball need a salary cap and floor, or is it fine the way it is now? Well, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Like, It sure seems to me that an awful lot of your higher payroll teams make the postseason and or go to the World Series. Um, it's not exclusive to them. We've seen the Rays go. We've seen other lower payroll teams go deep into the postseason. Um, but you're you're never going to see a sour a hard salary cap in baseball because their union's too strong. And what's amazing is speaking of amazing, the amazing Mets, Steve. How many millions? Over a hundred million dollars, or close to two hundred million dollars, they're going to pay in those luxury taxes or whatever they call them for exceeding well we'll like see i don't minimum. who knows if they're done this off season yet well that's true i mean that's but that's i think i saw we don't a figure, even know if they're done i saw a figure that was in excess of a hundred million dollars yeah i think the braves oh. just went over the luxury tax threshold now yeah. they could make some moves before the season and dump some salary too that's true uh, but more and more teams it looks like the yankees the dodgers i mean more and more teams are going to be over that luxury tax threshold so business yeah. must be good for the big market teams. Must be, man. Jeez. The advertisers must be coming out of the woodwork to to be sponsors for them, I guess. Because um, that's an awful lot of money. But baseball's I, – I think baseball's kind of ruined by that. I, I, I mean, I, you know, if you're a fan that's in a small market, even like Tampa Bay, which somehow beats the odds because of how brilliant they are with the analytics and the different front office guys and evaluating a talent and stuff like that. But still – you know, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, payrolls in baseball every year. It's really hard for those guys to compete against the Bostons and the New Yorks. And then if you get to the playoffs, Houston Astros, like, really? Like, you just don't have the same caliber of free agents or, or depth. You know, if a guy gets hurt, and I've invested a lot of money in him, and he gets hurt, I just go out and get another guy that makes a lot of money. You know, you can't do that in Tampa Bay. So I do think it's it's hurt the competitive balance of the league, uh, and yet I don't have the data that shows how many different World Series winners we've had, you know, or how many different World Series entrants that there has. It's been. actually been a lot. That's what but, I thought. It feels like to me that baseball is becoming more like the NBA. Now the NBA Super has teams, a salary cap, yeah, and, and that, but the NBA is it's a league where one or two guys can change everything i mean you only got five guys on the floor at a time you get the super teams right you yeah get the super guys together and, yeah. and basically they form super teams in the nba for the most part and it, it, and it feels like baseball is yeah. becoming that all of a sudden i think you're right i think you're right it, it feels like it's it's going to be super teams so that the yankees the dodgers the astros the braves the, the red Sox, although they're, they're still rebuilding right now but those yeah. teams that have that payroll are going to stay good for longer, if not perpetually. Yep. And the smaller market teams are going to have to either be brilliant like the Rays have been for a decade plus to compete, especially in the AL East, or you've got to just catch lightning in a bottle for a couple seasons and make a run. And Yeah, before and then, your guys yeah. leave to go yeah. to New York. Yeah. I mean, it's what it feels like baseball's becoming now as you're seeing – how all these big market teams are spending and, and going well over this luxury cap, the, the 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 tax cap, whatever that they've kind of stayed below for the most part. A team will go over every once in a while, but now all of a sudden they're blowing by it, and it feels like yeah. it's it's heading towards super teams. 
Yeah, and, it, and it's on the players too, although you know they're going to go where the money is. And in addition to these teams being able to pay the most money, it's also the money guys can make off the field. Look, if I play in New York and I'm a star, um, the Yankees are gonna, or the Mets are going to pay me a ton of money, but I'm going to make I'm going to get a ton of opportunities in New York, right? Versus Tampa, or if I'm in, if I get a chance to go to what was it last year? And I know he was going home, but Freddie Freeman, you could play for an iconic franchise in Los Angeles, the second media market in the in the country, or you could play in Tampa. <laughs> I mean. That's not a tough decision, is it? I mean, even if the money is similar, it's, it's still, there's a, your brand, right, is probably worth more if you play for the Dodgers than if you play for the Rays. I oh, mean, no or question Milwaukee, no Or question Milwaukee or Oakland, right? It just is what it is, man. That's why, you know, Boston, New York, I mean, they're, it's a huge population centers. They draw the most fans. They make the most money. They spend the most money. It's pretty simple. It's basic economics. But um, I can't fault the players, you know. But baseball is it's flawed. It's not a there is no competitive. There is not a competitive balance. And yet, and yet, statistically, I think we had it in front of us. We could show they've had different winners, a lot, right, and different World Series. Um, you know, AL and NL champions, a lot. It isn't always the Yankees or the Astros. It's just not. So, now the Dodgers have been in the mix quite a bit, but, you know, I I don't I don't think baseball can't get there in, in, if you don't pay all that money. You can still, but, man, it's so hard. And, and it's, you know. And it, it's not like football in that sense. A hard salary cap, and they'll never agree to it because, you know, you know this, the agents run it, and they have a very strong union now with the players, and they're not going back. They're just not going back. All right, the Bucks will continue uh, their preparation today for the big game against Carolina. We'll have a chance to talk to Tom Brady, Byron Leftwich, all those guys. We'll update you on all of that. The Tampa Bay Lightning are hosting the stinking New York Rangers, man, that's become quite a rivalry. I love it when those two go together because I think they're very similar in their styles and the way they play. So that's going to be a big one at Emily Arena. You can still submit uh, some mailbag questions. We might get to a couple of those as well. Um, I mean, kind of long-winded with some of these answers, so I don't want you to think we're sliding you. You can always send those to us at any time at SportsDayTV. Reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. Email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. For Steve Rustic, I am Rick Stroud of the Tampa Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 